Sorry we couldn't work something out. You'll be even sorrier if you let that little girl down. Can't we just draw a line under all this? Shake hands? <laughs> It'll be a cold day in hell before I shake your hand. Do you know when I was on the street? Those people you could trust with your life. Others you wouldn't dare turn your back on. Guess which category you fall into. Neither, because I'll never end up kipping in a doorway smelling like a kebab shop where you live in. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 274 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that asked AI to write this week's introduction and is ashamed to say it's much better than anything I've ever done or ever will do. I'm Gavin. And I'm somebody. And more on that later. You're somebody? I'm somebody. What am I here? You're somebody. We're all somebody. What am I? Chopped liver? <laughs> Please don't do that. No. <laughs> Well, that was, that was the... my posh Edinburgh voice. Really? What, what that, am I? Chopped that, liver? That kind of sounds like your American accent. Oh, no. Yes. What am I? Chopped liver? Yes, that would that's be my basically the same thing. No, I think there's a nuance there. <laughs> if you say so. How are you this week? Yeah, I'm all right. Got the book auction in full swing. Nope. talk <laughs> yeah mostly this week i just you know i decided unlike with the children's room auction i'm just gonna get all of the comic books in right in the beginning because they take a little bit longer because there can be more things wrong with them than, than the other kinds of books and everything and then i'm far more tempted to read them at work uh. you know than i am the regular books because I know I can finish one in a shift. And I don't really. I skim. I skim. Mostly. I don't read like a whole one. Mostly I skim. Or I say that I skim so that I can find out, you know, if it's someone's first appearance in the comic book and everything. Because that can, you know, increase the value. You know, you've said the word skim so often it started to lose its meaning. <laughs> More of that later. <laughs> Yeah, so, and we have a week left of the children's room auction. I just checked it, and that Samantha Bewitched doll is now over $200. So I'm just, I'm really kind of shocked and pleased. Excellent. Yes, yes. How was your week? It was fairly busy. Yeah, yeah. More on that later. More of that later. I did go and see uh, Exorcist Believer, or Exorcist I'm a Believer, as I'm calling it last uh, night and it was terrible yeah i don't recommend it well it wasn't something Could've thunk it it wasn't something i was ever going to see anyway Could have thought I have, that a movie by david gordon green and danny mcbride wouldn't be as why good are they as still the original letting, why, why are they, they just, still letting danny mcbride do things why are they picking beloved movie franchises although i don't think anybody loves the exorcist franchise they love they love the exorcist right yeah they love the first one but it kind of 
after the first Halloween, I mean, Halloween kills and Halloween ends right. really dropped off a cliff. So I don't know why they've moved on to Beloved Exorcist. No doubt they'll be moving on to Beloved Sleepaway Camp or something next, but or dearie me. why do they let Danny McBride do anything? Can you think of one single thing Danny McBride has done well? I don't think they should let him out of the house. He did vice principals and that was actually kind of good. Remember right. vice principals? Right. Yeah. Is that your Edinburgh accent? No. Chopped liver? <laughs> it sounds so American. Chopped liver. <laughs> Was that different? No, because the second one you did was obviously trying to be a stereotypical gangster yeah, American, in New Jersey. American. That's that's the whole point. Yeah, but like the other one is more like your bland, everyday American Midwestern accent. Can't we be bland? I've never <laughs> been so insulted. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that chopped corn news. <laughs> A scrappy little podcast about Coronation Street went viral this week <gasps> thanks to a wee London, London London clip they first shared three years ago. Good for them. I hear they're open to interviews. <laughs> because apparently some people who have shared it didn't bother to figure out who made it. <laughs> and that's really insulting because you guys don't know how long Gav slaves in this room, thinking up clever things to well, mash together clever. for the amusement of the people. We, we barely see him for weeks because he's just slaving away, making content over and over and over again. You know, nobody knows, nobody knows what to think anymore. I've, I've, I've run out of excuses for our friends. <laughs> Anyway, even the show, even the show did not credit us when they shared it on the social media. Well, not. And how fucking dare them. <laughs> well, not. They especially. Not initially. That's especially egregious. Especially egregious that they wouldn't automatically, as soon as they share it, make sure. T- Radio One got it right. Radio One credit us, credited us. All you other people are not nearly as important as Radio Fucking One. And they got us. A little surprised accredited. How outraged you're pretending to be about this. I'm actually quite outraged. I'm not pretending. This is, I am so indignant on how many people just called us. Oh, somebody did this thing. Well, let's have a little listen to it, shall we? Whenever they want to write a character out of Coronation Street, you know what they do? They send them to London. This is Chuck Thomas on Talk TV. And as a result, everybody on that show is terrified of London. So somebody has edited... Somebody! 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 Somebody. Fuck you, man! And it's quite funny. (laughs) Let's take a look at this. I'm on my way to London. London? She's on her way to London. London! Also, can I just say, the MND this story is Zoe on Coronation Street at from the moment has Radio been 2. incredible. And speaking of Coronation Street, uh, something delightful we saw this delightful? weekend was somebody has... Somebody! Somebody! Fuck you, ma'am! ...of characters on Coronation Street over the years, shocked to the core at the very thought of people going to London. I'm on my way to London. London? She's on her way to London. 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 
Why are you saying it like that? <laughs> <laughs> Richie, it's so good, isn't it? The dr- all the drama. <laughs> Let's, um, should we bring it back to the UK? And this is Sweet Greg, old UK. Greg James on My favourite person on Radio 1. On the weekend. This was actually my, <laughs> this was my favourite thing favorite. I saw over the weekend. Mm-hmm. There's a Coronation Street podcast <gasps> called The Talk of the Street. That's us. This is that podcast. That's Coronation us. Street. <laughs> this is that thing he's who, talking um, about. Yes. This is it. He's talking that they're about going us. Down to London. And then the reaction from the other cast members. This is brilliant. Brilliant. To London. Yeah. Not London. London. Going <laughs> where? London. London. I've been banging on the Barlow's door for ages. There's no answer. No, no, no. She's in London. London. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, you're up to date with all the latest things. We are Aren't all the latest things. Up to date. With all the latest things. Just imagine if they ever got their hands on those clips of Jane and, and Georgia saying Dollywood. Yeah, that moment's <laughs> passed, unfortunately. Uh, you it, do it, work. It I, you do work hard on these things. I don't think yeah. people understand how you know to get it ju- to get the clips lined up just right, mm. to search them out and to cut them out and to. Put it's, them together. It's brute force more than anything else. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting waiting for them to say London. Right. But there are other things. There are other, like, clippy things that you do and that you post that take it even longer and then never get any love. Well, I do like to give credit where it's due. Uh-huh. And it's I, you. And, and even if it's, like, reading a comment that I've seen on Twitter, mm-hmm. I, I try. I'm not always perfect at it. I won't pretend that I am. But if... I try and take a note of who said something mm-hmm. because it's only right. Yeah. And I like how the Metro newspaper are good at, at quoting people that they steal tweets from. Liverpool Echo are quite good at it. The sun's terrible at doing it. The mirror's not that great at doing it. And well, it of take, course the it, sun is and terrible. And it takes nothing just to give people their due because... You, you get a little bit of a buzz seeing your name on a on a new right. site, and you get a little bit of buzz hearing the guy on Radio One Breakfast talk to four million people saying the name of your podcast. Right, that was great. And so I, you know, and no let's real... be honest, he's the only one of those three clips who's important anyway. Well, the Radio Two one gets twice the amount of listeners. Do you do do you, do you not like being being brought up? And being lauded by by people, I find it. Do you find it uncomfortable, quite uncomfortable when yes. people praise you? Yes, I find it very uncomfortable. You are so British; it's adorable. But I'm American. But I'm American, and oh, I noticed. demand satisfaction. Oh, we've noticed. I'm looking at you, Radio Two. How dare you? And also that other one that I can't even remember. Not the whole thing was really a rush because on Friday afternoon. What I was trying to do was jump on the bandwagon of the Nando's Photoshop job mm-hmm. that I'd done that got the attention of one Colson Smith. Yes. So when somebody said London on the classic Corey, I was mm-hmm. just in a rush to get that clipped, add it to my collection and post it. Right. Not thinking that it's going to get seen by or listened by upwards of fourteen million people. Yeah, and adding it after the whole Debbie saying, Why are yeah. you saying it like that? I know, I feel I feel ashamed. How dare you? It's, See, is it's that better? It's lined up properly now. Is it better that now I'm criticising you? Yeah, I feel, feel far better? more comfortable. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is more like real life now. Anyway, it was a wonderful roller coaster of a weekend and start to this week. We got Georgia Taylor sending us a 
sending us a, messages. A, a Twitter message to say, by the way, your London clip, it was on Zoe Ball's show. Uh-huh. That's a good day when something like that happens. Absolutely. Absa- absolutely. We love Georgia. And this is why. Because she's nice to us. Yeah. <laughs> Take note, other people on the show. Be nice to us. <laughs> like Georgia and Jane are. <sighs> and like Charlie used to be. Oh, Charlie. Oh, Charlie, we miss you so much. <laughs> I think we better move on. Yes. <clears throat> After the third week of reschedules, it seems fans of the show are planning an insurrection with one person <laughs> posting, nah, fix it or lose me. And another stating, can't cope with this anymore. You're not going to name them? No. Because the article... Because the article... Because, the, chips no, because, the, because the article I read didn't quote them either. Oh, okay. So, You're and not I don't quote know... article? No. Fuck them. <laughs> this is this is why giving due credit is not a thing. It only <laughs> no matters when it affects me. No Haven't you been else. in this country long enough to learn that? <sighs> uh, God bless America. And finally, Alison King has broken her silence about Chris Gascoigne taking an extended break from the show, saying that she hates it. But thanks to being friends in real life, it will be all right because she'll still get to see him every once in a while. Yeah, and she, she said that uh, she um, was really cute because she said, "Well, you know, I'm just handing him over to his actual wife. Yes. You know, I go. He goes from his TWV wife to his real wife, and then back again. So Love this stuff. he's always got a wife somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> kind of creepy, but." I guess it. And that's Corey News. That's Corey News. And this brings us quite neatly on to the section that we're calling London. Um, everyone's a critic. <laughs> Lily P writes this week, Hello both. Huge fan of the podcast here on England's East Coast. See, it's not just Canadian people. It's I love it when actual English people like it's us. It's for English people too now. It kind of means a lot that English people like... Take the time to to like things and to tell you that they like you because that's not typically something that English people do. They keep things bottled in. I think all British people do. Are you uh, done with your <laughs> sweeping generalizations? I've got Lily's letter to read out here. Oh, okay. Racist Kelly stated her age as 20 last week, which would make her four years older than Max. Just a few weeks ago, Racist Kelly was concerned about being put into care if she was homeless. She wouldn't be in danger of being put into care at the age of 20. I'm guessing that she's lying about her age now. Keep up the good work. And I was quite um, yeah. taken by that because what Lily's carefully done there is assume that Racist Kelly is lying. Whereas right. what I was doing was assuming that the show had got it wrong. <laughs> Both believable. Max turns 17 in September, by the way. And Lauren was introduced in November 2022. So Max had just turned 16 when they met. And had sex. Which makes me think now, what about this relationship with Ryan if she's lying? If she is 16 or 17 well, she, yeah, and having a relationship yeah. with Ryan would be much weirder than if she was 20. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. <clears throat> Absolutely. Feedback is always welcome. Send us your thoughts and I will probably read them out like I did for Lily. Thanks for writing in, Lily. We Thank really you, appreciate Lily. it. Get us at the talk of the street at gmail.com and our DMs are always open at Corey Podcast. And now we'll podcast for coffee.
we have another new friend of the <gasps> podcast this week. What? I know. They're just rolling in now. Absolutely. It's because I'm so charming. <laughs> yeah, that'll be it. <laughs> Thank you to Wendy. Wendy is our new friend of the podcast. Wendy! Wendy writes, before I leave for Vegas to see some Irish guys, I figured I better get some business done with you two. I work security in a big stadium and listen to you on my way to work, doing concerts and sporting events. You also keep me awake in the parking lot afterwards when I'm stuck in traffic. Aww. Something about you both keeps my head calm before and after the madness. That's so lovely. I also send random messages when I'm perplexed watching during the week. So I will send Bono your love this weekend <laughs> until I go back to the grind on the 15th. Thanks for all you do. Well, thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Wendy. Should we tell her how you feel about Bono? <laughs> Let's, let's just let it glide, shall we? <laughs> if you want to hear about how Gav feels about Bono, you can listen to our sister podcast, The List of Lists. Yeah, we really appreciate <laughs> we really appreciate you becoming a friend of the podcast. The Talk of the Street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on YouTube's. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. You can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast like Wendy did through the same link, where for as little as two bucks a month, you can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. And remember, Helen, remember, sure. you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And properly crediting us when you share our stuff on the socials. <laughs> Although don't expect it to cut both ways, apparently. <laughs> and now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to Last Year Tonight. With me, John Oliver, just enough time to quickly talk about my tangents of tangents. There's no chance of you remembering this. My tangents have tangents. Let's see, who has ADHD on the show? Thunder. Is this Max? That's right, this was Mary talking about wanting to be Mary Crozier, and whose point just went a-wandering. She figured that she'd end up being like a character in Bergerac. Ah. I was Gavin, and you wanted everyone in the UK to repeat Pico de Gallo, not Pico de Gallo. Right, yes, it was Mexican Week, the most notoriously racist episode <laughs> of the British Bake Off. It's when Bake Off got racist, folks. Ever. Well, it wasn't the first time it had been racist, but this was the most racist. Racist Week. Racist Week! This gave you yet another excuse to complain about that Mexican meal we had at Smiling Jackson Southern. <laughs> Coronation Street accommodated... I will never let you live it down. I enjoyed it. I don't care what you think. Coronation Street accommodated us with episodes on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday so we could do Homecoming that week, which was the same this week. Yes. I complained about that schedule, but I've actually been quite enjoying it over the last four weeks. It just this seems weird just not having something to do on a Friday. In four years, this was the first time we'd recorded at 4pm on a Thursday afternoon. Homeless Stu is forced to choose between pursuing intangible justice or building metaphorical bridges. James discovers a coaching opportunity in that London. London! That would take him closer to Danny. Jenny takes a spill before quiz night, which puts Glenda in charge of proceedings. Dev takes an olive branch to Bernie in hopes of rekindling their relationship. Aggie and Tim. Aggie? Enjoy a shopping trip in town to source an anniversary gift for Sally. Mary is concerned that Ken is giving her lines to Wendy and his script rewrites. And Maxie's positive progress through the pupil referral unit gives David hope that he will return to Wendy High. Brian likes a show tunes karaoke round. Billy drugs the bishop. 
And Welsh Nigel isn't gay. Our moment of the week was Jig Tig with <laughs> Devin Mary. And our boring moment of the week was Brian talking about his hair to David. And that was Coronation Street remember, and the Talk of the Street this time last year. Remember how shocked we were to, to learn that Welsh Nigel liked women? I, I don't think we believed it. No, I don't think we did. And neither did lots of other people yeah. like like Mersey Tart and, and Den. I missed them. That's like one of my few regrets of getting off of Twitter is, you know, some people I missed that that was the only place I would see them. Yeah. So, Mersey Tart, Scott, Den, if you guys want a blue sky code, just let me know. I'll hook you up. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Now, seeing as our little podcast got a bit more exposure this week than usual, I have put three jokes into this week's recap, and one of them is new. Didn't we? Haven't we already done three jokes? <laughs> so you're all out of luck. Our first storyline tonight is two weddings and a Polaroid. It finally happened. Oh, well Joel. done! It finally happened. Well done. On Monday. Paul's at the quad house getting prepped for the wedding, keen to know if Todd has been able to come through on the secret from last week. He was asked Ooh. to do a secret thing last week. Yes, he was. Paul is a little worried that Billy won't take it well. But Bernie... Because it's a threesome. <laughs> but Bernie <laughs> and Gemma are sure it's the most romantic thing they've ever heard of. Okay, so maybe a not a threesome. Those aren't romantic. I think you've been involved in the wrong threesomes. <laughs> There's joke one. <laughs> Meanwhile, outside, Billy catches Summer and Dee Dee chatting about something secret. He's all suited and booted and ready to go and has some fizz for everyone when they're ready. At the bistro, a woman with an acoustic guitar is playing YMCA. And I kind of like that. I like acoustic versions of songs generally anyway. Well, I do too. However, this was, this was the first bit that made me think... Exhibit A. Did the writers just sit around while they were writing this and say, okay, everybody, just name gay stuff. <laughs> name gay stuff. Let's put all the gay stuff we can think of in this episode. And the first thing they came up with was the village people. Well, this was written by Damon Roachford and Jonathan Harvey. And one of them was the other one's best man at, at their gay wedding. Oh, that's awesome. Isn't it? I was kind of shocked that there was no reference to uppers, but you know what? It's fine. Uppers? Not uppers. Poppers. Poppers. See, you know more about gay stuff than I do. Yeah, you go. You have something to tell me, Gav. Yeah, poppers. That's what I had to tell you. <laughs> Billy and Summer come in and she walks them down the aisle. Daniel is surprised at how well an archdeacon scrubs up. Daisy would definitely shag Billy. Paul comes in with Bernie and Gemma on either side of him and Billy seems to get a shock to see how frail he looks. Paul, though, looks proud as punch he's as so he's handed cute. over to Billy at the top of the makeshift aisle in the bistro. Billy uses his speech time to regret the time that they spent apart, allowing other people to come between them. And then he pledges his life to Paul. <laughs> and David looks at Todd and says, he's talking about you, which I thought was hilarious. Jack B. Shepard just... Continuing to amuse me yep. when he's on the show. <laughs> oh, what is that a veiled dig at? Shh. I, I can't work it. Wait, wait, wait. But but can I ask? Why were David and Shona invited to this wedding? Well, David and Billy were friends. Were they? Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever seen them friendly. Round about the Josh 
storyline until Ow. until Billy put Josh up. But then I think Billy went back to the hospital and looked like he was going to turn Josh's life support off. Or I might be I might just be imagining that. Yeah, but and then they were they never seen together again. They used to be pally that they haven't been pally in a while. Right, so it was confusing. But it was also funny. And then also uh David and Paul shared a cell. Oh, that's right. Site, so. That's right. I forgot all about that. How could I forget season two of How I Met Your Mother? Season one. Was it? I thought it was, it was season, season two. That was season one. Oh. Paul has got chat GBT to write his speech for the second time in two weeks and focuses on what a smart, posh, former heroin addict sees in him and how long they have left together. Paul says Billy is the love of his life, the Starsky to his hutch, the cannon to his ball. Now let's get fucking wrecked. And they are declared <laughs> husband and husband. Yeah, it was, it was my Thelma to Louise, my, my Starsky to my hutch. And those are people in professional working relationships and, you know, women running away to go to drive off a cliff. Mm-hmm. None of them are in romantic relationships with none of one another. Neither were cannon and ball. <laughs> those aren't even people. Yes, they are. Tommy Cannon and Bobby Ball. Oh, see. Tommy Cannon, who follows us on Twitter. Sorry, Tommy. <laughs> I don't think they broke America. They have not. What a lovely wedding. It was so emotional, even the cake was in tears. <laughs> joke too. <laughs> that was such a shit dad joke. Yep. And yet I'm laughing at it. <laughs> it's a good joke. Everyone is fair enjoying themselves, apart from the Allahans and their own storyline, while Paul distracts Billy with talk of how much Billy wanted a church wedding, even though he maybe mentioned it once in the passing and seems surprised when everyone keeps bringing it up. So is there a specific reason why their wedding cake was a log? Was it? Yeah. It was like, it was like a, or a stump of a tree with like their names carved into the side. Oh yeah, because they saw that tree that time. Soon it's time to cut the cake, and as Billy and Paul are doing that, Chesney appears and slips a set of keys into Paul's pocket on the down low. Billy wants to make an emotional speech, but Paul just wants to cut the cake and get fucking leathered, so they do that instead, with Summer being the official so photographer romantic. with her Polaroid camera. Yeah, Chesney seemed to be... I don't know if he was best man or if he was just the MC, but he was like, yeah. now it's time for the speeches. Here. Here, Paul. Here's a microphone. Yeah. Good job, Chesney. Good job, Ches. Outside, Paul is pretending that he needs air, but he has a surprise for Billy. He's found a vicar willing to marry them on the sly in a church. On the down low. What do you say? Paul realises that they could get into trouble for this, but they could be married in God's house just like Billy always wanted that one time. <laughs> Seemingly, Billy's mate, the Reverend Degsy, has taken pity on them. No one will ever find out. Fuck it, says Billy. Let's do it. So half of the bistro wedding pile into Todd's van and fuck off to St Mary's, one of Billy's churches. Ooh. At the church, Billy's in the church. In a church. Billy's in a church. Billy's in a church. In a church. Turns out that Billy really did want this desperately, and he's in tears as he walks down the aisle towards Paul. Fair's fair. It's his turn to walk down the aisle the second time. Right. It's ridiculous though, isn't it? All that talk of, oh, well, God is everywhere, so it doesn't matter. God is here. God is within our hearts. Nope, he lives in the church. Nope, that's the only place he is. What the hell, Billy? I've come home, says Billy. Reverend Gegsey doesn't look like you'd imagine. Auntie and Billy have some low-key pastor banter. 
So they exchange vows again, and you know what? I think they give it a little extra this time, and Summer is there with her Polaroid. Billy and Paul get their oh happy day after all. Todd urges them to hurry up and get the fuck out of there before the Pope shows up or something. And then we're all back at the bistro with the guests not deemed important enough for the church do who haven't gone home, and it's time for the first dance. Billy helps Paul out of his chair, and as they sway to the communards, Thank you for a perfect day, says Billy. I wish there could be more perfect days, says Billy. Everyone cheers, but then we cut back to the church, and in the aisle, it looks like Summer has dropped her Polaroid, the stupid bitch. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. It was like, we, we, we pan back to an empty church, and it's like, what's going to pop out? It was a little terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh God, is somebody going to be there? No, it's just a picture. There was a reason for someone having a Polaroid camera right, after yeah. all. It was so this could happen. So she could shake it like a Polaroid picture, which is something you're not supposed to do. Now, I think I upset Den a little bit by... Aw, how actually, could you do that to my precious Den? By actually quite liking the wedding. Well, that's because they love Billy so much. They want Billy all to themselves. This is true. I liked the wedding, though. I thought they did it well. I liked parts of the wedding. I'm not sure I'm all that bothered about the church part of it because really Billy didn't seem to me to be all that bothered. Right, and it was this. It was so weird because a lot of the, a lot of the you know spoiler write-ups and everything were kind of hinting that he was going to be really, really mad at this. Really outraged, and Paul was going to be crushed, crushed. I tell you, like Rana, under the roof. God, we haven't had a Rana crushed joke in a long time, have we? A couple of weeks. (laughs) So, yeah, it's been a while. It's nice because it's the first Coronation Street gay wedding. They finally caught up to everybody else. Am I hugely fond of the fact that they've fallen back onto the old trope of we're going to make the gays happy and then we're going to kill one of them? Mm -hmm. Not especially. Not especially happy about that. But at least, you know, typically it's lesbians who are going to die. So at least, at least they've saved the lesbians this time around. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think it all comes down to the, um, the acting from Peter Ash and Daniel Brocklebank in the, in, in the roles of Paul and, and Billy, who really sold it. Mm-hmm. And, and I read an article where Daniel was saying that the tears that he was crying were real because right. of the emotion of what this represented in the first gay marriage on, on Coronation Street. Right. You know, I, I can understand why that would be such a an emotional thing for heft him. for the two of them. And I think I think it came through in the performances. I think the, the two of them were, were great together. Mm-hmm. Far better than they've been... And the weeks and months leading up to it, right, where, exactly. where we're constantly kind of reminded of the fact that, you know, if Paul wasn't dying, Billy wouldn't be marrying you. You've said that a couple of times. Right, yes. And that all seemed a little further away during the wedding. I thought right. it was good. I thought the supporting lot were great. I thought Bernie was great. Yes, she's always great. And uh, and Todd, it was just nice yeah. having... a. a we, I, the, we've we've missed so much of that apology that it's it's almost now I, I don't know why I'm even going back to it because right. 
How Todd managed to get back into that circle, I have absolutely no idea. But the three of them together having a hug was... Yeah, I thought that, that was, was kind of nice. lovely. How did Sean not get invited to this wedding? Would you invite Sean to your wedding? <laughs> He's kind of fun at parties, but probably not. But I haven't slept with Sean. But as an ex of Billy's. Right, yeah. Maybe if that's one why. Is an ex, Maybe that's why. Well, Todd's also an ex. But Todd's, a, Todd's also a dad. Right, yeah. Why doesn't Sean get to be part of the council of dads? Because he's already got his own son. Got it. Okay, never mind. Yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah, and then, of course, it all comes crashing back. And the music was great as well. Yeah, well, some of it. (laughs) I really liked that YMCA. It made me learn the chords. I was like, when it first started, I was like, I know these lyrics. It's the same. What is this? Mm -hmm. I know this. What is this? And then she starts singing YMCA and it's young like, man, oh God. There's a place you can go, I said, young man. Right, yeah, I'm trying to think what, you know, 17th century Irish dirge that I'm fond of mm-hmm. were they were they quoting. And I was actually going to be really impressed that they, that they dug deep into cultural history of English folk music or Irish folk music or any folk music. And then it just turned out to be the village people. There you go. On Tuesday, Billy and Paul are glowing in wedded bliss and calling each other husband and stuff. Is that where we're calling it now? What? Wedded bliss? Perfect day yesterday. The honeymoon breakfast is in Nina's rolls. How quickly the the sheen comes off, doesn't it? No, but they have pan au chocolat. Bernie is showing off the wedding pictures from yesterday, but Billy's disappointed that the money shot isn't there. Yeah. The one that that came all over. (laughs) That was a little creepy, wasn't it? Billy calling that the money shot. Where they exchanged rings, not not that other thing that I said. Right. Some are rummaging around in their bag for it, but with no luck. Gemma, meanwhile, has never seen Paul so happy. He's quite happy. He is happy, and that's nice. Later, Billy gets a call from Greg the Bishop. He's been called to an urgent meeting, which doesn't sound good. Paul reminds Billy that no one could know about yesterday because they tidied up and they locked up behind them, so all that's going to be fine. <sighs> sure Still, they tidied up. Billy is like a hen in a hot girdle as he hurries off. So back at the Godflat, Greg the Bishop, who we last saw stoned out of his tits <laughs> this time last year, has been speaking to the church warden who found the money shot on the floor. Dirty, dirty boys. (laughs) Greg the Bishop asks for an explanation. Billy comes clean that after a civil ceremony, he wanted to say his vows before God and a blessing, which is what they had planned to do, just wouldn't have cut it. And they couldn't wait for that long anyway because of Paul's condition. Billy says that he doesn't regret it and he's not ashamed. Greg the Bishop thinks the church is moving in the right direction, but it's not fast enough for Billy. Greg the Bishop is quite pragmatic though Doesn't think anyone needs to know about this And he's prepared to turn a blind eye So, no well, harm, no foul Well that's quite nice of the Bishop, isn't it? Yeah He's still kind of laid back after he got stoned out of his tits That's correct Later, Billy explains this to Paul Who's relieved that they've got away with it Billy is keen not to tell Summer Because woe betide Summer takes responsibility for her actions for once Billy and Paul are about to head out when Greg the Bishop comes back high out of his tits again and he explains that there's been a development. The church warden hates the gays and has riled the parishioners up into a homophobic frenzy. The church has been defiled. Greg the Bishop doesn't agree, but it's a breach and he can't ignore it. He thinks so, an apology would go a long way. Paul is disgusted at the suggestion, but Billy remains silent. And later, after Greg the Bishop has left... Billy checks out the social media posts which are mostly Leviticus based. 
Shelley's brother has had his say too, that prick. Billy makes it sound like he's never out of the church taking care of these people. And needless to say, the mood has soured somewhat on just, going out for dinner. Just just a wee bit. I am I am glad though that they had Billy mention the fact that the other things that are banned in Leviticus are tattoos and wearing clothing made of two different threads woven together. Both of which apply to Billy. <laughs> with his big tribal tattoo over his shoulder and the multiple threads that he's wearing as he's eating shrimp. <laughs> I forgot about the shellfish. Instead, they go back to Nina's roles and tell Bernie and Summer and Roy what happened. And then Billy gets a call from Radio Weatherfield while Bernie gets to posting some pics on her social media. Her handle on Friends Connect is Bernie Winter 69. Oh, of course Bernie. it is. Oh, Bernie. Back home. I wonder how... Because Dev's really tall and she's really short. Uh, everyone's the same size in bed. <laughs> Back home, we still haven't found out what the re- weather... You know that's not true. ...what the radio weather field thing was about. But we all learned that Bernie has posted the photos and it's a Christmas miracle. The internet has been kind and the pictures are full of positive comments and lots of people in similar situations but without keys to a church. Who's standing up for these guys, pleads Paul, and this seems to give Billy food for thought. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that Billy's been invited on to Radio Weatherfield, and he turns up when a DJ is hosting a football phone-in, which transforms into a theological debate phone-in <laughs> on a sixpence. The DJ asks why Billy ignored the church's law on gay marriage, and Billy explains how he wanted to be married in sight of God. The DJ asks if the church is wrong, and after consideration, Billy says it is and he can't keep quiet about it any longer, and he makes an impassioned speech about being made by God, and his love was made by God. It's time for the church to live up to its promises, where the word is what matters, not where you stick your bobby. Yes, amen. It's nice to, you know, finally but, agree with Billy on something. But again, the whole incite of God thing. Cause, right. Because God lives in the church. Right, and nowhere else. A Come home, on, Billy. At home, Summer, Gemma... Paul and Bernie listen to Billy refuse to apologise for his love and then the phone-in topic switches to the ideal number of consecutively smaller spoons you need to properly <laughs> taste the tomato sauce, which we'll get to in a little bit. That was... Oh, I can't wait for that. Fucking hell, says Summer. Fucking hell indeed. Billy gets back home, worried that he went too far, while Paul and the others think that he was fabulous. And then Billy gets a call from Greg the Bishop, who heard Billy on the radio, agrees with the sentiment... I've got to love Greg the Bishop, but reckons that Billy's position is untenable and he's been put on indefinite suspension. Is this how we get round the fact that Billy's never in a church? He's going to lose his job? What else is he going to do? How can he live without serving soup to the homeless? And occasionally and occasionally gathering clothing for the homeless. That one time. You know, and occasionally very rarely doing funerals and weddings. On Wednesday then, in the God Flat, <coughs> Summer is bashing the bishop about how unfair this situation is. Billy is in his civvies as the phone rings. It's for Paul from the fancy wheelchair place. They're looking to, de- to deliver a fancy wheelchair later today. Ooh la la. He's thinking about challenging Izzy to a race. I would like to see that. I would as well. So Billy and Paul pumping... Pump. Oh... I know where your mind is. Coronation Street after dark, folks. (laughs) So Billy and Paul bump 
into Ed outside Nina's rolls and ask him to help out with the door to the flat, which is too narrow to let the fancy wheelchair in. It does look like a very fancy wheelchair, though. Then Summer spots a crowd walking across the street. Uh-oh. Do you recognise these people, she says? It's my parishioners. Parishioners, assemble. <laughs> and it's a group of, like, half a dozen people who look angry as fuck. But the lead one, Babs, announces yes. that she's she and the rest of them are 100% behind Billy and Paul. Yes. And they congratulate them on their wedding. Right. They're angry as fuck at the bishop. Yep. Which is a Which shame is kind of unfair, the yeah. yeah. And they brought a bottle of his to help celebrate the nuptials. Which is cute. Rather than invite them into the flat, though, Billy gets cups and they all hang about outside on the street drinking wine in the middle of the day. Classy! And then a grumpy old parishioner, Vaughn, comes along and he's the opposite of the parishioners assemble and thinks that Billy and Paul will be going to hell. He also looks really familiar. Has he been in other stuff? Probably. Billy thinks this is outrageous and tells Vaughn that he loves Paul very much and his husband is dying and so Vaughn will get his wish soon enough. Now if you'll excuse me, I need to see if these people need a top up on their debuts. <laughs> Babs thinks that Vaughn is a stinking old bigot and she prays for a miracle for Paul and when Ed tells them that he can work on their door in two weeks, Babs and the parishioners all pitch in and say that they'll do it now. Paul though wants a private word with Billy. So back up in the God flat, oh Paul God. explains that he heard Billy refer to him as being on his on his way out on death's door, and it struck him for the first time how much his death is going to affect other people. Oh, for fuck's sake. He knows this is not the first time he's realized that his death is going to affect other people. No, I thought that was kind of weird as well. It was this this scene is so terrible. It made me so angry because here is the dying man apologizing for dying. Well, yes. I'm so sorry my death is going to hurt you. What the hell? But the whole reason why you got into all these scrapes along the way, like stealing the car and stuff, was to get money to help Gemma out. Right, that to help other people. That he wouldn't be able to do once he's dead. Right. So he's kind of been going through this with an understanding of how his absence is going to affect the people that he loves in his right, life. Right, yes. And Bernie and him basically had a conversation about it. Yes, they did. That's why Bernie was wanting to give him all our, our little charms and stuff and, right. our, and our healing crystals and what have you. Because this was how she was dealing with his, right. his impending demise. Yes. And this was explained to him. Right, yes. Yes, so this scene... Is superfluous and kind of offensive to people with, you know, terminal illnesses. Well, that maybe. they need to apologize to people for their dying. Ed has helped out the drunken god squad rip the door off of Tracy's flat. Because remember, this is Tracy's flat. Right. And apparently she's fine with us. Yes. Paul makes another speech written by ChatGPT to thank them for sticking by Billy and his hour of need. Just to rub that in a little bit more. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I agree. I think the whole Paul supposedly coming to terms with how him not being there is going to affect the people around about him currently is is a nonsense. But it also feels like something that they just threw in at the end to try and make up a little bit of time on this storyline. Because it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't go anywhere. It, there's going to be nothing that comes out of it much, I wouldn't have thought, because that's kind of, it's kind of dealt with. Right. 
And like, remember, they had that huge argument where Billy was like, you have no idea how this affects me and how I lay awake at night. So worried about this. And Paul told him to fuck off because he's actually the one who's dying. But how can he stand in God's bistro (laughs) as well as the church? Right. See the look on Billy's face. Right. The tears in Billy's eyes. Right. Listen to the speech that Billy's making. Right. And not think, you know what? I think he's going to be quite upset when I'm not here. Yeah. Yeah. It was a kind of stupid thing for them to do. Right. I kind of wish they hadn't bothered with it. No, me too. We could have had more stuff with the delightful Babs, who apparently has arms of steel. Mm-hmm. She does Kramaga. I don't know what that is. I thought it was is it kind of macrame. No, it's a form of martial art. Is it? Yeah, oh, and it's probably, pretty intense. That's Babs for you. <laughs> I wanted more Greg the Bishop. I like that man. We are building, and we will get another one later on. We are building a lovely little community of tertiary characters. Yes. Like Swain. Right. Like Gadas. Yes. Greg the Bishop, yes. I feel, is part of this as well. Just right. these characters that you, you don't see all, all the, the time. time, but when you see them, they're amazing. Yeah. I would like them to break away and form a rival <laughs> soap opera because i'd be all over that and the kebab man we could put the kebab the, the man kebab in there guy. Yeah, yeah little kebab man and and um the fish guy <laughs> we haven't seen the fish guy in ages a couple of years are there no more fish in manchester there was that one fish joke that they wanted to make in the bistro and that's that's been the that's last the of fish that guy gone sadly no i liked as i said i liked the wedding and i liked the, the little complication because billy shouldn't have done that had that wedding in the church because he knew that this is right. potentially what could happen and would billy be wanting to do something on the sly in the church right yeah a secret wedding in the church just doesn't seem like something Billy would be do you think, over. Do you think maybe they wrote they wrote two scripts for this and they accidentally gave the spoiler people the wrong script? <laughs> maybe. Because, yeah, I mean, Billy, bless him, is very by the book most of the time. Yeah. You know? So you would think he would at least hesitate a little bit more than he did. He did, to his credit, say this could get Pastor Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. To give him his full name, <laughs> Reverend Alvis Dumbledore. Yeah, this could get him into him trouble, into trouble. <laughs> with the Ministry of Magic. Right, right, with the Ministry of Magical Jesus. Right. So. I don't know why I said Dumbledore, because I couldn't remember the guy's name, and I knew it started with a D. It's Gegzy. It's a G? Gegzy, yes. I thought you were saying Degzy. Oh, maybe I did. I thought it was Gegzy. Those are all ridiculous names. It's a nickname. Gegzy is a nickname. Well, how can he be Pastor Gegzy, then? That can't possibly be his real ass, because Paul wouldn't be familiar enough with this guy to call him by his nickname. That seems rather informal. You don't look like a Gegzy to me. No. But anyway. Well, what does Gegzy mean? 
I think it's short for Gregory or something like that. He did kind of look like a Gregory, but that I, wouldn't be his last name. I don't. Gregory could be a last name. Could it? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you be suspicious of someone whose last name is Gregory? I'm suspicious of everybody at this point. <laughs> the fact that there was a consequence to that, I think, is interesting. I think the idea of Billy not in the church anymore... I don't know if that it's frees him up a little day, bit. It's just isn't it? But here he is. He's got his own little storyline that doesn't involve Paul, which then we'll be happy about. Right. But it does involve Paul. Because well, he's married to Paul now. For now. And the whole reason why he got into trouble was Paul. This was Paul's idea, let's remember. Paul organized this whole espionage. Yeah, I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of glad to, although, can you imagine Billy doing anything else besides being a man of the cloth or being a heroin addict? Is, is there no, a middle ground? There isn't. In, in society, there isn't. You're either one or the other. <laughs> right. But I think that this might give him, I, I don't think he gets drawn out of this vocation by losing his archdeacon job. Right. I think what he ends up doing is setting up his own church. Right. Yeah, maybe he will become an Episcopalian because they're cool with gay pastors. Well, I think the Church of England does as well. It's just they don't want to marry them. Well, yeah. Episcopalians are are down with the gay marriage as well. Those those are vegetarians that eat fish, right? (laughs) No, that's pescatorians. Thank you. You're welcome. It's joke three. Yes, and they actually do have Episcopalians, I believe, in the United Kingdom, whereas I don't think they have Methodists, who are also down with the gays, or most of them. I have no idea. Moving on. Moving on. Our next storyline tonight is Addy of Love. (laughs) On Monday, Dev is down in the dumps, upset that Asha would rather stare at her phone than speak to him. Then he gets a call from Chesney, though. He says it's business. I've got a business call, but it's Chesney. And he's got some bad news. And it turns out that someone's panned in the kebab shop door window. Dev can't be bothered calling the cops. Through the mesh and through the bars. And seems to be happy leaving it to the insurance, forgetting somehow that he's going to need a crime number for this. Chesney has found the item responsible for the damage and Dev and Asha instantly recognise it as Addy Snow Globe that we saw last (gasps) week. Dum, dum, dum. And it hasn't broken. Oh, those things are solid, aren't they? No, they're glass. More solid than a reinforced glass window. Maybe and not. they're also glass. And Nina's roles, Courtney Boobs is off into town to meet her pals, leaving Addy still pissed off that she didn't tell him about the bribe. Courtney really couldn't care and tells him to enjoy his wedding. Asha comes in and privately tells him that Dev is on to him because he was stupid enough to use his fucking snow globe when he smashed the window. And at the wedding, Dev tries to make amends with Addy, who sits separately from him and Asha. And Addy is in no mood and to Nina. Let, is in no mood to let this slide and has a dig at Dev about the five grand before leaving them to it. I'm, I'm sorry, we'll get back to this. What is Dev's relationship to Billy and Paul? Why are they at this wedding? Because like I said, they didn't invite Sean, who they have an actual relationship with. I don't think I've ever seen Dev and Billy... Ha- well, no, no, okay, no, wait. Dev and Billy got that drunk that one time. They did. Why did they get... Well, Summer and Addy were kind of dating for like a hot second. That's right. And, and also, so that got them an invitation to the wedding? Well, Paul enjoys kebabs. And Bernie works there. Oh, right. And Bernie is Paul's mom and she's also shagging Dev. Okay, all right. I'm good. Carry go. on. 
took us a while, but we get there. <laughs> Asher tries to give Addy a hard time about Nora and Dev until Summer points out that today is important for other people's reasons. So either they make up or fuck off. So Addy goes to speak Good with job, Dev. Summer. Despite not forgiving him when the police come into the wedding to speak to Dev about the broken window. Hi, I know this is a happy occasion, but we need to speak to these people. Can you, I have a piece of cake, please? You called the cops on me, says Addy. You broke the window, says the copper, and Dev urges everyone outside to chat about this. Back home, Dev is one million percent Dev. He is so he is so Dev. Well, he goes up, and then sometimes he's not quite so much Dev, and then he's up, and then he's up. Yes! No! I love when he says tete-a-tete. He tries to convince the cops that he doesn't want to press charges and offers them free kebabs. And bribes them with kebab. And asks them to let him take care of this, which they eventually do. Although the they two do of them, give him a warning. The two cops look the most confused they're ever likely to be during this exchange. He, yes, but the one cop is really looking forward to free kebab. Yes, he is. Afterwards, if Dev thought that Addy would be grateful, he's got another thing coming because Addy is still under the impression that it was Dev that grasped him up in the first place. Back at the wedding, Chesney tells Dev that he was the one who called the police so he could get that stupid crime number. Dev's furious about this. Asha urges Dev to tell Addy, but Dev wants them all to sleep on it and calm down. So Asha decides to take it into her own hands and goes to tell Addy at his house or his flat in the precinct. But Addy doesn't really give a shit and tells her about the five grand bribery attempt and throws her out. And that's as far as we get with that. Yeah. There's a great little non-exchange between Courtney Boobs and Asha because Courtney Boobs keeps on trying to have little digs at Asha uh-huh. and Asha just ignores her. <laughs> it's, it's such a great little bit of story. Right, yeah. When Asha pays her not one bit of attention. Right, yeah, like while she's walking out the door, Courtney Boobs says, you look great, babe. And that's when Asha slams the door. Mm-hmm. That was nice. Love that was Loving Great. Asha and the storyline yes. in general. This is this is my favorite brand of Asha. When mm. she's, you know, she's protective of her brother. Right, she's protective of her brother. She is strong. She does not give a shit. Oh, she does not give a single shit. Right. She, she knows that Courtney Boobs hates her. Right. Does not care one no, little bit. No, because she hates Courtney Boobs <laughs> for good reason. Yeah, she's a terrible, terrible person. I'm glad that she we is. saw her for a little bit. Right. In this, however, this week's episodes. However, we must say. The actor is not responsible for how much we hate Courtney Boots. Yeah, I mean, Addie is... The fact that she's like, look, it was Chauncey who, who dialed it in. It wasn't, it wasn't Dad. At this point, he's like, I don't fucking care. How dare he give us five grand? Well, you know, at you're having point. no problem spending it. Right, seriously. He's like, it's like, if it bothers you that much, give it back. Mm-hmm. I kind of hate this this version of Addy, who normally I love very much. And so I'm so mad at the show for making him kind of a dick at the moment. I still think he's torn between getting his whole and his family. Right. I, I think he's I think he's already Yeah, he does he's, seem he's maybe, to be kind of sick of Courtney Boobs. He's maybe not regretting the independence that having his own place has given right. him, but I think he's regretting sharing that with her. Yeah. All, but he doesn't want time. but he doesn't want to admit to his dad and his sister no of course not that he's wrong all right let's move on to our next storyline which is who the hell's this wee prick on monday 
that horrible wee youth that was a dick to Ryan last week. Well, he's hanging out with Liam and Dylan, it seems. Taking Great. the piss out of Liam when the show remembers that Liam's asthmatic and he has to take a hit from his inhaler. And then it winds up a passing Gary who shows a bit of concern about this relationship. So that wee shitbag youth and Dylan and Liam are hanging around outside the salon after school when the shitbag sees that the police are nosing around Tyrone's car. For another storyline. And he does a runner, Dylan and Liam following close behind. In the community garden, the shitbag admits to stealing the car and knocking over a wee lassie. Dylan and Liam agree to give him an alibi if he needs it. He says someone. He's very specific to not be that specific because if he was that specific then dylan and liam would know that he's talking about eliza yeah who they don't really know well they kind of know they've been to parties together or at least liam has been to parties with eliza yeah is liam a bit younger than dylan i think so and also liam is part of the the rising stars thing and so is eliza right Big shots, little big yeah, shots. Yeah, Liam and Eliza are both part of little big shots. So if the guy had said, I knocked over a little girl who got out of a car with her granddad, right. he'd know exactly. So anyway, they agree to give him an alibi if, if he needs it. And they all agree to bunk off school tomorrow. Well, he although, bullies them into it. Yeah, although Liam doesn't look happy about this at all. Back home in the Rose Gold flat, Gary quizzes Liam about the little shitbag who seems like a wrong one. Gary says he was a wrong one once and advises Liam to give the shitbag a wide berth. Yes. So, on Tuesday, Gary is heading off for a house clearance. That sounds like something you would do, Helen. Absolutely. I was like, oh, Gary and I are the same. I kind of hoped that when Gary said it was heading off for a house clearance that Maria would play the (laughs) auction auction talk music. He offers Liam a lift, but Liam would rather get the bus, and so they leave separately. At the bus stop, that shite bag, Dylan and Liam are dogging school when Sean comes along, telling them that they're cutting it fine. So they end up hoofing it, which Sean approves of. The grand day of dogging school is hanging around on the swings at the precinct. Right, yeah, what the hell, man? At least do something fun. Drink in a bus shelter. That's what you do when you dog school. Go to the beach. Beach, like the fifties. Go go to the beach and drink some malt. (laughs) Go to the beach, get some sun, hang out with your friends in Manchester. Well, not in Manchester. Go to get some booze. Go to a bus shelter. That's all you need. Go to a movie. Go to a theme park. That's what kids here do on like Senior Skip Day. They go to that Ohio to Cedar Point. Anyway. This is where you're supposed to say, Ohio? No. Oh, you suck. Asshole Features has some disposable vapes that he passes around. Dylan and Asshole Breath get wired in, but Liam is saving his for later. Dylan shakes his head. So Asshole Features and Dylan pressure Liam to try the vape, and of course he has an asthma attack. Prick for brains slinks off, leaving Dylan to call an ambulance. Maria and Gary are furious yes, they at Liam are. for vaping. Maria is under the impression this happened at school, so Liam has to come clean, but he refuses to say who gave him the vape. And Dylan, who's still hanging around, insists it wasn't him, and then he hightails it out. Right. Gary thinks it was a cocky cock face from yesterday, and Liam <laughs> confirms it. Are you just going to keep doing this? <laughs> well, 
Now we find out that his name is Mason Radcliffe from the Dodgy Estate. Right, yes. Gary. Yes. Harry Potter's big brother. <laughs> Gary has heard of the family and they're inbred cannibals like Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> Maria storms round to Maria storms round to Eileen's to shout at Dylan and Mason. Mason slinks out quick sharp, leaving Dylan to sit and lie to Maria's face. Maria is sure to mention that Dylan was dogging school and vaping and leaves Sean to fold his arms in a huffy way and take care of his son. Which is nice. Maria, it's nice to see Sean being a parent. Just so we're clear, Dylan has been there this whole time. Right, and we just never saw him. Right. But let's remember, almost all of the other children are also invisible. Because you thought he'd gone back to London. No, you thought he went back no, to London. No, you thought you'd gone back to no, London. No, you did. <laughs> it was you that did. Why are neither one of us going, London? Well, I'm waiting for he you to do it. went back to London. Maria gets home and instantly grounds Liam, who seems affronted to learn that she shouted at Mason and Dylan too. Liam heads to his room and gets a message from Mason warning him that snitches get stitches and asthmatics get pneumatics. <laughs> on Wednesday, at the Rose Gold Flat, Gary has lost his keys. Urgh. Liam gets a text from that stupid shite bag telling him to skip off school again today, so Liam pulls a sickie instead to get out of it, with Gary and Maria giving him the benefit of the doubt after the asthma attack. Liam does mutter under his breath, though, calling Maria a Karen. What the hell, man? Do, <laughs> do people... People don't call one another Karens in the United Kingdom, do they? Yeah, of course they do. Dylan and Ball Breath meet up in Nina Rolls. <laughs> Dick Features thinks that Liam is dogging school because he snitched them yesterday. Dylan is sure that Liam is a good guy and will keep quiet. So, stupid hair prick is at the precinct with other assholes and they start picking on Dylan for Sean being gay. And I was like... We you know, just had this huge, big gay wedding, and now we're back to homophobia. We had uh, Vaughn on his homophobic rant on Wednesday, and then we had the limp-wristed Mason talking with a lisp. Right. Uh, as he's supposedly impersonating Sean. And those scenes were more or less back-to-back. I was like, yeah. what on earth is the show doing here? Right. Because... We already hate this guy. It's right. fine. We don't need yeah. to do this. No, we get we it. We don't need the homophobia. He's a horrible, horrible prick. But you know what this gives a chance to do? It gives a chance for us to be, oh, well, Dylan's going to tell him off because he loves his dad. And then he doesn't. No. So, so now we hate Dylan. So Dylan and Asface are at the bus stop. Pricky Vaughn Prickerson O'Dickhead <laughs> has an idea of breaking into the boarded up rovers to steal the booze. Sean comes along, furious to see Dylan there as he's grounded and quickly shoes him off home. So Dylan gets home in the mood. Sean explains his concerns about his stupid fucking friend and his stupid fucking haircut and his stupid fucking voice. And his face. Don't Sean forget his face. And his breath. Sean knows the type and reckons that Dylan is being led astray. Dylan says he's not a sheep and he storms out, wishing that he'd never moved here from that London. Yeah, because remember the whole reason why he moved from that London. London. London is because... People in London were making fun of him for having a gay dad, even though they've never even met Sean. Yeah. I mean, it was fine if you'd met him. <laughs> Back at the Rose Gold flat, Dylan comes in to see how Liam's doing. He apologises for yesterday and Gary and Maria reluctantly accept it and give Dylan and Liam some time together. Dylan explains that shit for brains knows that Liam grassed him up. Liam doesn't care and says that he hates him anyway. But Dylan takes Turd Features' side here, Which saying that weird. he doesn't want to hang out with a loser like Liam anymore. 
And that's just fun. Right. And and Liam also says, I didn't grass him up. Gary figured it out because like recognizes like. Mm -hmm. And Gary used to be awful and murder people. But now he's nice because he's a good stepdad and he and Maria work. Now, I can kind of relate to this story because... You used to be a shitbag? I used to be friends with a shitbag. And I... And I was friends with a shitbag at the expense of my other friends. And as a result, I ended up being fairly sad and lonely for maybe four years. Stuck in this asshole's trajectory and being the only guy that was really supposedly my friend. But he was never my friend. Right, because bullies... I didn't like him and he didn't like me, I'm sure. Yeah, he did probably didn't even like himself because most Billy bullies hate themselves because they're bullied by other people first. So, like their dads. So I see a lot of myself and and Dylan here, and it made me regret not having the strength to stand up to this idiot and just walk away from him. You were a kid; you didn't know. Well, I, and saw, I saw some other people that I was friendly with doing that. They just they just ignored them mm-hmm. and i wish i'd done that yeah but you know these things happen i don't know i was always the kid who was bullied so and then you know later in life have my middle school and elementary school bullies because i wasn't really bullied in high school but my middle school and elementary school bullies friend me on facebook and then apologize which is weird and then some people friended me on Facebook and apologized. And I said, you are on the side with me. No. <laughs> you have nothing to apologize for. But apparently they may have said something behind my back or something. Like one of my first friends from school to come out to me was like, well, you know, I was really insecure because I, I don't want to. Because I don't know if you know, but I'm gay. And I say, yes, Eric, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we all knew. Right. We knew then. Yeah. It makes me sad because, like I said, Dylan has been through this already and stood up for his dad and moved. So this seems like backtracking. It's like, what's so attractive about this particular bully that you're going to take his side over your dad? Mm -hmm. Or are you just so tired of having a gay dad because because you're, you know, a teenager and you're prefrontal cortex isn't fully fused yet that you tend to be an idiot sometimes yeah i don't know it's it's uncomfortable watching something that kind of hits home like that i i hate absolutely i i hate mason with with every bone in my body his name's mason his of name's course you mason. and yet i'm thinking dylan you've got a perfectly good friend in liam here right and he's got other friends, like, uh, what's his name? The one with one leg. What's so great about this guy? Right. Just because he vapes. And is scuzzy. And, and is from the wrong side of the precinct. I don't know. but And is taller. It's, ma- it's making me, I don't know. I don't know how much of an appetite I have for this kind of Grange Hill storyline. In fairness, not an awful lot of storylines for the younger male folk. You know, we don't really get an awful lot of stories for our younger boys unless it's unless it's Sam. Or Max. Right. I don't really count Max because he's like an older teenager. 
So he's closer to like, although it's kind of weird. To me, it seems like he's old, he's closer to like Amy and Asha and Addie's age, but he never hangs out with them. They were all in school together and they used to kind of hang out together, but not anymore. And that's kind of weird. I guess it's because he's a racist shitbag. Or he was a racist shitbag. Yeah, this, this one though is going to, this is going to struggle to, to keep me won over. I think I'm at the moment cautious about it. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see. I think what direction it goes in, but I'm really worried about what direction it eventually it does go in. What I'm really disappointed in, and I don't know if you feel the same. I'm really disappointed that it's that it was this anonymous shitbag who was yes. freewheeling around Tyrone's car because that feels like a cop-out. Or less the suspects were Dom or Cassie. Right. And I think it makes more sense that it's not them. I would have preferred it to be one of them, though. Well, there was a story in, in that that they kind of briefly touch, and we'll talk about it when we come to it. Mm. it going in this direction, yeah, I'm not sure how... I'm not sure how satisfying it is. It's not. That, oh, well, that's that's the answer to that that's been kind of lingering about for a while. But then I don't know if it's been lingering about for a while because we'd worked out whose car it was weeks ago, and we're maybe expecting something something else to come for it, something right. more, uh, construct more carefully constructed than this. Right. A little interested to see where it's going to go, but I think I don't know that it's just going to be so hard to put up with this mason guy for any length of time right because he's so he has no redeeming qualities whatsoever he's just so unadulteratedly right shit right and we already have racist kelly for that we don't need another character who's bad because he's bad right yeah because we've had that like I, I just mentioned racist Kelly and then there was, what's his name? The one who killed Seb. ITV Corey. Yes, ITV. How could I keep forgetting his name? Know, his name is ITV Corey. Your memory sometimes. You, you don't even remember it was you who thought that Dylan was in London. Anyway, let's move <laughs> on to our next storyline, which is recovery schmacovery. On Monday, Evelyn drops in to see Tyrone, who is getting ready for his important meeting today about the cab stuff. Cassie appears along with Hope and everything is a picture of calm and assistance which immediately makes Evelyn suspicious. Turns out Tyrone is bribing the girls to do their housework and stuff. Five dollars a week. Or five pounds a week. Yeah, it's easier if they pay them in pounds. Right. Because then otherwise Hope has to go to the Bureau de Change to try and get her pocket money. Cassie at this point is under the impression that she will be at the meeting about the cab stuff later too. Nina's rolls Cassie is very excited about this meeting and is sounding Tyrone, Abby and Kev off about some shit ideas that she's had. Right, like a like a buy one, get one free card or something. No one is interested. And Tyrone tells her that maybe it would be a good idea if she just kept her fucking mouth shut at the meeting and let right. him and Kev do the talking. Cassie tells them they can shove their meeting up their arses. Right. Up, up their, their arses. arses. Haven't done that in a while. No. And she storms off. Abby's like... They do own the business. Right, yeah. Just let them talk. Right, yeah. And Abby's not offended by this at all. No. You know, even though she does have the gift for the gab, and she also does have a lot of experience. You'd let Abby talk to this woman who runs this cab firm before you'd let Kev talk to her. Let's let's be honest. Yes, yes. But you would let all three talk to her before you would let Cassie talk to (laughs) her. Anywhere near that, yep. The meeting takes place at the garage when Nina's rolls is right there empty. I don't know. 
but then the cops go in looking for Tyrone. Again, the cops just wandering in <laughs> looking for Tyrone and they ask him about his car being involved in a hit and run. At the cop shop, Tyrone is pointing out that he was the one who reported the car stolen. Right. And no one else, no one else in the house would drive the car. No one asks the cop. No one says Tyrone. But as I say, Cassie. Uh, oh. So Cassie and Evelyn are in Nina's roles when Tyrone comes in to explain about the hit and run, and he asks if Cassie would have any idea who did it on September the 11th. Cassie outright denies it. A passing Roy points out that he knows exactly what everyone was doing that night. They were all arguing in the cafe. Cassie is furious at the accusations and for the second time that day she storms out of the cafe. Right, yes. And then Roy disappears for a while and then he comes back in and says, I remember this because it was September the 11th and the Twin Towers disaster and I was reading an article about it and I thought, as an American, I thought that was nice that they that they acknowledged the, the horrible tragedy of 9-11. Because yeah, everybody that. else is like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Evelyn tells Tyrone that the best thing that he can do for an addict is detach with love and protect himself. And that is absolutely true. That's what they tell you in Al-Anon. Asking her about the hit and run was a perfectly reasonable question. Tyrone, though, is worried that they'll never see Cassie again. Imagine being in a relationship with your mother that every time you have an argument with her, you're worried that she's never going to turn up again. Just... If that's how how that relationship is, yeah. maybe you need to talk about that. Maybe you need to rethink this relationship, pal. Kev, though, finds Cassie in the community garden getting fucked on Lager. She tells him about Tyrone's accusations. Kev stands up for his mate. While Cassie tries to get a bit familiar with him, she grabs his hand and calls him a friend. He tells her to sober up before she goes home and he leaves her to it. And he comes back with a kebab to help her sober up. Cassie is about to go home to face the music. But she's still out of her tits, so Kev tells her to come home to sleep on the couch at his place and tell Tyrone she's with her mate. Cassie very much looks like she's keen on getting a bit of Kev action, at which point her metamorphosis into Abby will be complete. On Tuesday, <laughs> at the garage, Cassie comes along to thank Kev for taking care of her last night, but not like that. Kev doesn't appreciate having to lie to Tyrone about this, and Cassie mentions that she's missing a black mascara, so if he comes across it, let her know, guess who's going to find that? Mm-hmm. And predictably, right enough, Abby comes along later, allows Kev to hang himself by saying that he had a quiet night on his own while she was with Wendy Crozier, that Wendy Flaming Crozier. Then Abby produces the mascara. So Kev comes clean and explains... Abby in the audience is unsure why he kept this a secret from her, but it's all good, and she believes Kev was just being the good Samaritan. Now, where did she have that? Ma- where did she have that mascara? It was like in, in the her- bathroom. In the bathroom. No, 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 no. On her eyes. No. Because oh. <laughs> remember, Kev took her home directly from the community garden, where she had gone directly from Nina's Rolls to the package store to get some beer, and then go to the community garden to get drunk and um i know they're not called package stores in the united kingdom off licenses yes so it's and and then she does not go home on purpose she goes to Kev's to sober up so she didn't go home to like grab her 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 beauty bag with all of her makeup and stuff or a clean set of clothes so where was she sticking that mascara in her pocket that just seems weird mascara in your pocket as opposed to like lipstick or something that, you know, you have to reapply occasionally through the day, which is not what mascara is. 
I'm so confused. I don't know. Kev says, she wouldn't be the first damsel in distress that he's rescued, which doesn't go down well. No. But I also remember him throwing Abby to the curb on more than one occasion. Correct. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. And Abby says, you know, you're lucky I've mellowed in my old age. I would have been throwing, throwing fists earlier in my, in my youth if I thought you were doing the dirty on me. Yeah, we've got an awful lot of things happening here that don't really matter that much i guess this was a week that was more focused on the wedding and the last storyline right. that we're going to talk about yes because all that we get here is well we find out that tyrone knows about the hit and run i guess uh-huh we don't really know if they get the contract with the cab firm and frankly no. who cares right and then there's but there's just this fleeting few looks between cassie and kev that cassie Kind of seems to like the look of this man who needs a wash and a shave. Well, like, yeah, she's just... Because it's... But he, this he's is, like her. This is what she does. She kind of latches on to whoever is nice to her. Remember when she tried to latch on to Dev? Don't we have racist Kelly for that? <laughs> I mean, the, the, she's just a chameleon at the moment, this character of, of Cassie. She's Abby one minute, and she's... I don't know. I, I'm just a little disappointed that that this is the road that the Cassie character has gone down. Yeah. It, it's it's unsatisfying at the moment. No. I did like the fact that she and Evelyn were sharing a cuppa at Nina's roles, just the Wasn't two of them. Wasn't that interesting that it's, when it's just the two of them, and they get speaking, on absolutely fine. And speaking nicely to one another. You introduce Tyrone into that, and all of a sudden they're, they're arguing again. Yeah. Although it seems more on Cassie's side than Evelyn's side because Evelyn doesn't wasn't nasty when she went over there in the morning I mean she did complain about giving the girls five pounds a piece every week and frankly maybe she has a point I don't know but so there were there were nice bits and I'm glad that Tyrone now knows that his car was involved in a hit and run that's nice is it it's nice because it furthers that particular storyline along. But it furthers it away from him because now it's not, nothing to do with right, yeah. him or Eliza, really. It's now this Prick Mason storyline. Right. I don't know. But again, like I said, the kid was very, very careful not to be really specific about who he knocked down. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, so... I think once Dylan and Liam find out that it was Eliza that he knocked down. Well, you know, going to find that out because she's almost got that sticky off now, which we're about to talk about. So we might as well do it. Yeah, sure. And this storyline of Dick and Dom. On Monday, Yasmin's coming home today, so she Woo-hoo! was making a special pasta dinner for her. Yay! All your taste tomato sauce by using a metal spoon to dip into a wooden spoon that dips into the sauce. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on yeah, here? She uses the wooden spoon to dip into the sauce because I think it's the wooden spoon that that Stu has already been that using. Stu's had up his arse? Or no, fuck? that Stu's already been using. But then she uses a, you know, a metal spoon a to scoop it up. A smaller tasting spoon. Right, yes. And I think that's because Stu is going to later on put that wooden spoon back in the sauce. So he doesn't want Alia's saliva in his sauce. So she's being considerate. So how many spoons do we need for this operation here? Two. 
Well, can you use the metal spoon to go into the to skim some? No, because it's metal. It would get hot. <laughs> By being in the sauce for a fraction of a second. Well, it's not the sauce. It's the steam around the sauce. Oh. Sometimes I think you just enjoy disagreeing with me. What was your first clue? Yeah, marrying me. That was the first clue. <laughs> hey, he, you said it, not me. He and Alia chat about the Eliza situation, which has changed significantly since Jasmine left. Alia reminds him that Eliza is where she wants to be, so you need to let her go. Yasmin gets back full of questions about Eliza, but eventually enthuses on how great a time she had in Pakistan. Meanwhile... Stu is staring suspiciously at Tyrone's car, seemingly sure that he's seen it somewhere before. You think? Inside, Stu brings Yasmin up to speed with everything, up to the point where he recognised Tyrone's car a few moments ago. Yasmin has died a little from boredom, but eventually offers her condolences that he's had to deal with this on his own. She's now here to offer all the support she can. Then the police call Stu to tell him that it was Tyrone's car, but Tyrone has an alibi, so they're no closer to finding out who knocked Eliza down. Yasmin has been in touch with Dom and managed to convince him and Eliza to come over for dinner. And Stu tells her about the blackmail attempt and Yasmin is furious about that. So on Tuesday, Stu is hanging around like a bad smell outside in his rolls when Roy comes out with Freddy. It seems Freddy is in no mood to walk which is going to cause Roy problems with the errands that he has to run so Stu offers to look after the dog while Roy does his business. Or vice versa. Fucking Stu. Fucking Stu. At home, Yasmin is surprised to see Freddy. Stu explains his favour for Roy, but Yasmin thinks he's just trying to impress Eliza, who's coming over today. Remember, Helen? Remember that Eliza's coming over today? Yes. She reminds him that moving back has to be Eliza's decision, so no dogs are going to sway that. Stu takes the dog back to Roy. Who is like, what the fuck? I need to do my errands. (laughs) You said you are going to look after this dog. You said you are going to look after my dog. And the dog... Eliza knows the dog. She knows the dog isn't going to stay. So why would that even work? That's stupid. It is. But when Eliza and Dom visit, he announces that they're only there to allow her to get more of her stuff. Eliza runs off to do that and Dom tells Stu and Yasmin that he will not be emotionally blackmailed by either of them because it seems that Yasmin had said to Dom that if you don't allow us to see Eliza we might have to have a little word with social services about this. Hmm. He says that he's Eliza's dad and he doesn't have to explain himself, bitches. Yeah, even though when the shoe was on the other foot. Yeah. Yeah. The atmosphere is frosty. Dom would like to put all this behind him, but Stu refuses to shake his hand and swears that he never will. Eliza comes down, says cheerio to Yasmin and Stu, and he puts on a brave face for her benefit, and then she and Dom leave, and hopefully we will never see either of them ever again. Stu is down in the dumps after they go. Yasmin thinks this isn't the end and that Eliza may well come back. Stu complains that Dom was deliberately trying to provoke him, although it was really Stu who started it. Mm. Yasmin suggests just letting it play out and to be there for Eliza if she needs him. And if she doesn't, well, then there's nothing else they could have done. Later, Stu steps outside and calls Leslie. Who the fuck is Leslie? That's the town I work in. To look into (laughs) the matter they've been discussing. And and this is where we're like, is it is Leslie a man or a woman? Interestingly, I spelt Leslie on Tuesday, I-E, which I think is more a man. On Wednesday, if we thought we'd seen the last of Eliza, she's already on the phone to Stu arranging a visit today. 
privately. Stu is surprised that Dom has allowed it, but has agreed to it while Yasmin goes on about how how hot Sting is for some reason. <laughs> She's not wrong. She loves a bit of Sting with his loot. Oh, that yeah. loot gets her hot and bothered. Yes, well, he he does have very piercing eyes. <laughs> and poor, I, poor Trudy. And Blink I, if you need help, Trudy. And and I loved him when he was on season two of Only Murders in the Building. Eliza arrives later after school and she's not the cheeky wee madam she was a couple of weeks ago. She reveals that Dom hasn't arranged a pickup time and she goes off to wash her hands before dinner. Stu thinks this is weird, but lets it go. And later, Dom shows up and announces that Eliza didn't ask permission before the visit. Eliza lets it out that Dom always refuses her request to see her granddad. Stu reacts childishly about this and he and Dom have a low-key slanging match in the street. As Dom takes Eliza away, Yasmin doesn't know why Stu doesn't know how to keep a lid on his temper. Then he gets a text from Leslie asking for a meeting. So later, Stu meets up with Leslie, who's a woman, and appears to be a private investigator. Now that's a twist. A woman who's a private investigator? Whatever, next. He wants the dirt on I'll be Dom. asking for the vote next. <laughs> Chat liver. He wants the dirt on Dom for family court. Give me a couple of weeks, she says. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Is this story still boring you to tears? It's nice that Dom is proving that we were all right to hate him. You know, because, you know, here he is. He, he's now forbidding Eliza to see her granddad, which, you know, is not going to go down well in family court, by the way, because the whole thing is, well, whatever Eliza wants. So if her dad is keeping her from doing what she wants... Just like how Stu was stopping Eliza doing what she wants, though. Right. But the see, shoe is on the other foot, Stu. Yes. If that is your name. And you don't like it. You don't like them bananas. <laughs> or apples. It's apples. It's also very interesting that it didn't take very long for Eliza to say, no, actually, I'd like to spend more time with my granddad, please. And now she's lying to her dad about where she is when she's spending time with her granddad. I find that all very interesting. Well, as far as I'm concerned, Eliza, you've made your bed. Now you need to lie in it. Yeah, but I'm wondering what kind of dirt this, this Leslie is going to turn up. Because she's going to oh, turn gonna, something up, yeah, right? she's going to find something. She's not going to come back in two weeks and say, nope, he's fine. pure as a driven snow. Yeah, because we know this dude's not pure as anything. I mean, we've got Yasmin back. Yasmin's somewhat of a calming influence on Stu, although you wouldn't guess it. This temper thing of his is just, it's just... It just makes me remember how little I care about it. Right, because we remember him as the lovely wandering hippie who had not a care in the world when he was living on the street. Oh, with those baby blues. Yes, and perfect teeth. And that hair and that beard and those baby blues. Oh, so oh. glorious. Now he's just like that... Now he's who complains about everything. Now he's insufferable. Now he's my dad. <laughs> he just needs to be racist. Yeah, give it to him. <laughs> Our final storyline tonight is Canadian Psycho. On Tuesday, Jenny is busying herself at Rita's, which is getting on Rita's tits. Jenny needs a job, but Stephen reminds her that they're going to Thailand permanently and they should be more concerned about looking for a job and a flat out there. This all seems a bit much for Jenny, who thinks that there's no rush. Jenny's and Nina's rolls later on her laptop when Stephen comes along to show her the site for the Cinnamon Social Bar in Thailand. Yes, that sounds exactly like a bar in Thailand. 
This bar is owned by a friend of Stephen's and he's apparently looking for a manager. He thinks Jenny would be ideal. Jenny again is quite cool on the idea and sure she even wants to stay in Thailand. She calls it a daydream and this is time to get real now. Rita and Jenny chat at the end of the day about the potential move. Jenny expected Rita to guilt trip her into staying but Rita is doing the opposite. If she passes this up, it needs to be Jenny's choice, Rita says. And Rita just wants the best for her. Right. And neither one of them think of poor Daisy. <laughs> no, not once. On Wednesday, Jenny's getting out and about more now that the Rovers closed down. And it's quite nice to see her turning up at the cabin for a little change. Right, yes. She's still fretting about the move to Thailand, but she's made up her mind. She's going to go. Rita is thrilled to see the back of her. And Jenny <laughs> asks her just to keep shtum about it for now. Meanwhile, Carla isn't able to phone the clinic about her LSD hair test results at home, so she does it at the factory, where Stephen is able to sneak up on her. She throws him out of the office before she learns that the results of how high her hair was has been sent to streetcars, and not streetcars flat. <laughs> and that's kind of weird, isn't it? Because you know who works at streetcars? Peter. Right. So you'd think if, if a letter addressed to Carla came into the streetcar's office... They would hand it to Peter to give to Carla two weeks ago. Yeah, this seems weird and maybe just bad planning. Yes. So, Daisy finds Jenny and Nina's roles and Daisy is in a mood about this. Rita has spilled the beans about the Thailand move. And then Stephen comes in and joins them and Jenny breaks the news to him too. Stephen asks for a private word to make sure she's certain, but she promises that she's 100% into this stupid idea. Stephen is thrilled. Daisy less so. So Carla goes to streetcars to retrieve her mail, which, yeah, is a strange plot point. Let's just call it bad planning. Because it just we're just it moving no Carla sense. about for some reason. Right. She tells Peter what it is, and he's already poo-pooing the very idea of it. She opens it up and gets the confirmation she was looking for. Her hair was tripping balls right enough. Yes. Peter instantly backtracks, starts yes. blaming the hospital for not picking it up. Right, which is something we said... And then Carl says, well, they wouldn't have been looking for it. Right. But maybe they should have been testing for drugs when she was all of a sudden erratic. Carla thinks this was all Rufus Houndstooth's doing, and she intends to prove it. But back at the flat, she's checked the dates, and they don't line up. When she was ill, Rufus had been nowhere near her, and this seems to put Peter into action. Later, Carla has transported herself back to the factory, where she's furious that Michael has got her tea order wrong, he apologises profusely and explains that it's normally Sarah or Stephen who makes it. And a penny drops for Carla. Right. Fucking Sarah. <laughs> it's funny that this whole Carla doesn't take full fat milk in her tea has come back up again. Yeah. Later, Carla calls Stephen into her office for a meeting. He wonders what's up. So Carla does a poirot and reveals that she knows it were him who spiked her coffee with LSD to make her seem crazy so he could get his mitts on the factory. Stephen obviously denies it vehemently. Sarah and Michael come in to check on everyone and Carla explains her theory to them. Michael thinks it's far-fetched. Stephen would rather discuss this privately and calls her a raving mad woman. Sarah Fuck you, man! <laughs> Sarah checks out the results and confirms that yes, there was LSD. Stephen swears on Audrey's life that he had nothing to do with it. Uh-huh. And Sarah gives him a bit of a side-eye at this. Right. So Carla storms off, intent on proving Stephen guilty, and warns Sarah to watch her back. Who knows what her uncle is capable of? Stephen thinks she's in the throes of another breakdown. Michael points out that she did have LSD in her system, and Sarah eyes her uncle carefully again, 
knowing what she does about Audrey. Right, yes. And then Stephen's like, well, how do we know she didn't just take it herself? And it's like, would she be this angry if she'd taken it herself? <laughs> right. In the bistro, Stephen meets up with Jenny. He wants to skip their meal out tonight. Jenny, though, wants to go to the cop shop to check the progress of the Teddy case. And there's a lovely little quip from Stephen when he asks what Poi is. Because uh, Jenny's been looking up Poi on uh-huh. the internet. And she explains it's juggling with big balls of fire without getting burned. And he says he reckons he'd be dead good at that. <laughs> Back at the flat, Peter is 100% behind Carla and reckons Stephen is a scumbag, but agrees with Sarah that they need evidence. Carla is now of the opinion that Stephen might be behind Rufus's death. Peter advises caution. These allegations could cause bother. At the police station, Jenny hasn't got any more details from the cops about Teddy, but reckons that, that the cops know more than they're letting on. Right, and they have a vibe that that there's, there's something wrong here. As they're there, Carla barges by to go in herself. Nicely done, Peter. Why is he not there with her? Right, yeah. Stephen quickly sends... Especially since he just said we need to be careful because he could right. be very dangerous. <laughs> right. Stephen quickly sends Jenny home, claiming to be uh, on the way to the kebab shop for dinner, but as soon as Jenny's gone, he goes into the cop shop too. Right, and there's an inconsistency problem here. Right. Swain. (laughs) So, dear Swain meets up with Carla, and Carla explains her theory. Swain is sympathetic to an extent but explains that this is kind of circumstantial and they need more. They need solid evidence if they're going to get Stephen banged up for this. She needs more to go on. Carla is furious and storms out. And Swain tries to stop her. Yep. Outside, she runs into Stephen who wants to know... (laughs) He walked in! Yeah. He walked in! Why is he outside now? He walked in. Did he walk in, look around, not see Carla, and then walk back out again? I guess he must have. And then just loomed at the door, waiting for people to come. Did the cops not find this suspicious that this man is just looming at the door? Why is this menacing man just hanging about outside the cop shop? Right, yes. Maybe. If only there was somebody here who had the powers of arrest. Right. Outside, she runs into Stephen, who wants to know if he should expect a visit from the Popo. For some reason, Carla admits that they're not interested, but she's not going to give up. Back at the factory, Stephen buys a one-way ticket to Bangkok when Sarah comes in and asks if he thinks he's about to be sacked, because if he is, he still needs to pay Audrey back, and she refuses to keep her mouth shut forever. Right. Stephen says that he's on it. Which he's not. Then Swain turns up in the street and has a conversation in the street with Carla. She explains that she thinks Carla might be on to something and advises that she steers clear of Stephen for her own safety and to keep a low profile. Stephen can't know that the police are looking into him. And of course, coming out of the kebab shop across the street, Stephen hears most of this. Swain. I so love the fact that now that she's... I'm, I'm assuming that now that she's done filming The Long Shadow... She's on this case now, and they've forgotten all about Craig and his shadow. Yes. It's like, okay, she's back now. Craig can go be racist somewhere else. Right. As this is happening, we also have Tim's mum about the house going on. Woohoo! Remember how worried we were that Elaine was gone forever? Yeah. 
I'm so glad we were wrong on that. So, back at the start of the day, Tim and Sally bump into each other on the street. She tells them that she's expecting a special package today that you might have to sign for. Might not like that. And she warns him not to open it. Now, Homer, don't you eat this pie. <laughs> Tim reckons it's something kinky. A woman's police officer outfit. No, no a less. prisoner. A, a woman's prisoner outfit. Oh, yes. She also berates him for still having his phone on silent, they're even gonna, though it's been fixed. They're going to play Orange is the New Black. Sally is the new Tim. An oddly officious postie delivers the parcel. And with a man bun. And after a fashion, leaves it with Tim, but only after taking his photo. I love this postie. <laughs> this postie needs to be in the show much more often. Yes. Imagine, right? This is exactly what I'm talking about with the tertiary characters. When you have really, really good tertiary characters, like when your doctor's excellent, and when the, the, the only good cop in the town is excellent. Yes. If you've got an excellent postie who's speaking to everybody on the street. Right. When he's delivering the mail. Right. He could be having little cheeky right. uh, interactions with them. Maybe knowing some of their business as well. Right. All that. This is such a great opportunity for a, a really good postie character. And it should be this guy. I love the conversation about... Because Tim's like, you're not our usual guy. And he's like, he was bitten by a dog, but I'm punktish. And then Tim's like, oh no, whereabouts? And the guy says the location, and Tim's yeah. like, no, what part of his body? Right. So funny. This this guy needs to be in the show every week. This is the stuff that we come for, not the you know grooming storylines or the floating guns. We want more conversations with the postie. This is exactly and it. fish guy. This is exactly it. And old kebab man. It's these tertiary characters that add that extra dimension to it. Right. And, and give us the fun element. Yes. I've, I've got a tune in my mind for the postie guy. But anyway, we'll, we'll see if we need it. <laughs> Despite being told not to open it, Tim... Fucking tears a package in and limb. And he does it exactly the way you do it, which makes me mad every time. It's limb like limb from limb. Do not demolish the package. I can use it again. He finds an anniversary present. It's a wallet. Oh, pig's tits, because it seems like Tim's forgotten about it. Yes, and he's also yes, and he's forgotten their anniversary. Later, so, that's what I was talking about. Yes. Later, Sally gets home from the factory, full of gossip about the shouting at the factory between Carl and Stephen. Tim reckons it'll all be Stephen's fault. Sally sees that he's had his mitts on her parcel. And Tim has, tried like to, that. Tim has tried to cover it up by just wrapping it in sellotape as far as I can make it. She's very put out that he ignored her instructions and spoiled the surprise. Tim, though, is thrilled by his new wallet and takes this as a sign that Sally wants her whole. And they're about to get on with it when Tim's mum just wanders into the house. Yes. She's back. She's she got needs, a key. She's uh, tried to get a hold of Tim, but he's phone was on silent yes so tim makes a point of putting the ringtone back on yes so tim's mum and tim are out for a walk talking about how she's moving on from the situation with Stephen, and then they pass Stephen, and they all ignore each other until tim's phone rings and it's still the birdie song ringtone yeah why wouldn't he have changed that by now it was right. steve who put that on his phone and he went to the guy that knew glenda to get Kyle it fixed Street, yeah. yeah muhammad who still has a thing for Glenda. Mm -hmm. Why, now that it's not in Turkish anymore, why wouldn't he have changed his ringtone back to what it's supposed to be, as opposed to just leaving it on silent all the time? So, Stephen, here's, here's the ringtone. 
because I said this was going to happen the second that he had that birdie song play that one time. I said, this is, Stephen's going to hear this. And mm-hmm. sure enough, he did. Stephen hears it. And in a vertigo zoom, he realises it was Tim who was at the canal the other week when he was poking the water with a big stick. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Yeah, why hasn't Tim gone to the police yet about that? Said, hey, I think you guys should check out the canal. Why? Ha- he hates... He hates Stephen. Why wouldn't he have already gone to the police about this? He hates Stephen. He thinks Stephen's been up to no good. Right. He sees proof of that. We already have one dead body. Yes. And now he's poking in the canal. That can only mean another dead body. Right. I'll tell you one thing. They're never going to Thailand. Oh, of course not. But I think they are going to go to an airport. Do you think they're really going I to pay to film in an airport? They had Chesney in the airport. When did they have Chesney in the airport? When they was going to stop Granny Linda go off with Joseph. Oh, that's right. So, so they do they've it done it key- before. And then they, they do it with a horrible, unbelievable uh, airport set. Right, yeah. It's just all windows. Yeah. And like a green screen with an airplane on it. Right. And then a, a natural airplane interior from the 1980s <laughs> which is always good um i mean it's kind of dumb because we all know tim would have changed his ringtone by now but he doesn't because of course he can't because Stephen has to find out and well like, he put it on silence so maybe he just was happy with maybe he just forgot about the fact that it was it was like that but i don't find it believable that Stephen would get the best of tim in a fight because we've seen tim fight well, who knows? And, you know, it's already unbelievable that he got the best of Leo and Teddy and those kids in the precinct that he bought LSD from <laughs> yeah. who mocked him. Well, he... Gravity won in the fight between Stephen and, and Cinco Leo. Right. And Stephen basically rabbit punched Teddy. Right, yeah, it so, was a sucker punch with a stapler. And then he stuck his head on... He was like... He stuck his foot on Rufus's head to drown him. Right. So... But let's also remember, he supposedly beat up those kids who were like now terrified of an old man. Right. I don't know. I think the positioning of the pieces in this storyline has worked really well. I like this build up. We've been talking about whatever happens on friday the 13th mm-hmm. next week yeah super soap week super soap week as next week i yes. guess this is super soap week. this is what we've been waiting for this is the culmination of Yay. the steven storyline who knows where it's going to go how are I, they going to wrap this up in three episodes somebody's somebody else has got to die here if they don't i'm going to be massively disappointed and if it's not a big name if it's not a big name character i'm going to be massively disappointed as well because all we've lost so far as a bit part character in Rufus, as much as I liked him, a bit part character there, a bit part character in Teddy. And while Cinco Leo officially was on the show for right. a year, yes. he was in it for a couple of months at the start and then a couple of months at the end. Right, but he was engaged to like a main character. So what? He wasn't a main character himself. Yeah. Poor Jenny. First she's going to move to Canada with a man. <laughs> And now she's going to move to Thailand with a man. Do you think she has a map of the world on her bedroom window <laughs> and she just scratches off countries that she's about to move to that get that scuppered by, her, never move by to. a man? Yes. I do hope so. 
no, I, I really enjoy the way that they've they've constructed this and the the hair thing seems okay. We've bumped, we've maybe nudged that back a couple of weeks further than we absolutely needed to, and that feels like a little bit of a stretch. But everything else here, we've got Audrey, I think, about to find out about yeah. her house. Yeah, Tim knows about the the canal. Right. Sarah's really suspicious of him. Yes. Carl is really suspicious yes. of him. Yes. Swain is really suspicious of him. Right. This is all really building up into what I really hope is going to be a massive week next week. Now, do you think Stephen is going to jail or do you think Stephen is going to die? Jail. Death. Jail, I think, for me. Death. But I think he's going to kill again. And I'm really worried for Tim. I'm worried for Tim and I'm worried for Peter. Well, only one of those two names are someone who's already announced they're leaving the show. Peter has made a big deal. Chris Gascoigne has made a big deal of him leaving the show. Yes. What he says is going to be on a temporary basis. Right. He's taking a break. Right. But that he could hasn't... Be, that could be bullshit, right? Right. And that could be... Because he hasn't set when he would return. No. Just, you know, an extended break. And I don't see him and Carla separating again, although he was away sailing for however long sailing. he was away for. I, I, don't see him, I don't see them breaking up for, for a, a year or something. Right, like especially since now Peter believes her. Right. And is on her side and is not suspicious of her. So I'm very concerned for Peter. And I'm very concerned for Tim. Yeah. Who else do you think it might be? I really don't think it's anyone else. It's been pitched as there are surprises in store next right. week. And I think it's David. I think David's going to die. What's David going to do with any of it? It's his uncle. He's barely been in the storyline though. Yes, but Jack P. Shepard has said that he's very involved in the storyline. And I'm just waiting for that to happen. Because it's, it's not happened yet. No. Maybe it's Craig. Oh, yeah. Well. Because, you know, if a cop dies, it's all right. As long as it's not Swain. Well, I have seen on Twitter that Vicky Myers has been filming recently. Yes. So. Yay! So I think she's going to be okay. Yeah. And it'd be crazy to do anything anything bad to her the buzz that is around Swain from the fandom at the moment right. is incredible yes it's, and well deserved it's incredible it's well deserved it's gadass levels of adoration right. for, for yes. D.S. Swain and I'm 100% behind absolutely that. I don't think there's ever been a detective in this show that we love more than Swain no not, not at all no we give them funny nicknames but, yeah, and, and we all enjoy that, right? Yes. Yeah, but let's 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 point out when it comes to Swain, we gave her a theme song <laughs> and not a nickname. Well, she was DS Blonde to start with, I think. And but, I never liked that. But she's uh she needed something far grander. Right. So she has a theme song <laughs> now. <laughs> oh no, not that one. That's that's Tim's mum's song. Yes. Once you start it, you're not allowed yeah, to stop it. you can't. And that's another character... Anyway. Swain. That's another character that we really love, so we gave her a theme song. 
Well, I used to love her. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> mostly love her though. No, this has been built up really nicely. Jenny's going to Thailand. All the chess pieces are in position here for a really great denouement, and I so hope that Corey delivered because Stephen, for me anyway, I know you feel differently, but for me, Stephen has been a a great villain, a pantomime baddie, campness personified Camp with a capital C, but. I think he's given so much to the show and what has been a fairly low ebb for a while. If it hadn't been for Stephen, I'm not sure what storylines I'd have been clinging on to recently. So I really hope that we get the end that this storyline deserves next week. And fingers crossed that they do, but everything is in place for this to be explosive without explosions and hopefully no guns. No, especially no floating guns. <sighs> uh, yeah, no, I've had enough of guns this week. We have pistols in the kitchen at work on, on because we've had pickup for the gun auction. So like every time I go in to get a bottle of water or to put my lunch away, I have to walk by like 20 guns on each side of me. Well, your lunch is pretty safe then. Yeah. So that was the week that was Coronation Street. Tell me, Helen, what was your moment of the week? Well, it's really funny, isn't it? It's funny. The last week, our boring moment of the week happened in church. But for me, the moment of the week this week happened in church. It's, it's Paul and Billy's church wedding. The second wedding. Yes. Not the Bistro one. No. Church isn't it one. cute? We had two weddings and they had two weddings. Not on the same day. No. Yeah. And neither one of ours was in church. And we're not gay. What you told me? The second one was in church. Oh, that's right. I was thinking of the reception. What is wrong with you? I was thinking of the reception. I was thinking that we got married outside. We didn't. We got married in a church. But they forgot to play the music. And Stelly was in jeans under her dress. Remember the Any other complaints? <laughs> no. None of that was a complaint. It was just pointing out that I remembered some things. Anyway. Anyway. That's our... What is? The the church wedding. It's our moment of the week. Which church wedding? Our <laughs> not, church wedding? Not our church wedding. That happened 11 years ago. Paul, Paul, Paul and, and I'm, Billy's. I'm looking for another <laughs> co-presenter here. Paul and Billy's church wedding is our... Moment of the week. Our moment of the week. Our boring moment of the week. Chauncey explaining to Dev about numbers. About numbers? About uh, the crime numbers that the police need. Oh, no, I was glad for me to do that because that was Dev's fault for not remembering That's that he true. needs to do that. That's true. I just wanted to give it to Chauncey. Is it is it Daisy willing to ditch Daniel for Billy? That was a dumb conversation at the wedding, was no, it? that was nice. I, I think it was, um, it was Michael being unable to make a cup of tea. No, because... Just so Carla can have a penny drop. It was important, though. And Michael never makes the tea. It's got to be Mason, I think, isn't it? Mason's idea of dog and school sitting on swings. Vaping. That's a... Boy moment of the week. Not even really an original baddie, is he? Sitting on swings. God damn it. <laughs> What's your score out of 10 for this week, then? Mm, that's interesting, because there was an awful lot I liked. 
There was a bit that had me scratching my head, but for, on the whole, I was happy this week. Mm-hmm. You know. I was happier last week as well. As were you. I think I was happier last week. No, I think I was happier this week. Uh, what did I give last week? Do you remember? You gave it 6.8 last week and I gave it a 7.5. Really? I, I scored that low last week? Mm-hmm. Because I was thinking 8.5 this week. 8.5? I think I'm 8.5 this week as well. Aw. I'm keeping it. I'm expecting something in the nines next week. Now remember, Super Soap Week has disappointed us in the past. I do believe I've mentioned a floating gun. It normally disappoints us, but I'm, I have such faith that they're going to do this right and give this justice. But for me, this week, with the wedding and the build-up to this, mm-hmm. it's an 8.5. Yes. It was a good week this week. I enjoyed it. It was. Anyway, that about wraps up for another week. This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, yay, Frank Shellen, Pickles, DT, Trisha, and Woo-hoo. Wendy. Wendy! <laughs> Do you think her last name's Darling? No. Okay. If you've ever used multiple spoons to taste some tomato sauce, <laughs> write in to tell us about it and give us some photographic evidence and your favourite recipe. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads and Blue Sky. Seriously, we shout, have a lot of tomatoes. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of voggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Yes! Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more... A talk of the street. A talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.